Welcome to HeyYA Extra Credit. Every other week, opposite the main HeyYA podcast, we'll bring you a short-form podcast, roughly 30 or 15 to 30 minutes of YA talk across a wide range of topics. I'm Kelly Jensen, and I'm so excited about today's show. We are diving into all things season two of The Babysitter's Club on Netflix, and I've brought on one of my favorite Babysitter's Club experts, fans, and chat companions, Ama Marpo. But before we dive in and Ama introduces herself, a word from today's sponsor. Our sponsor today is Dragons in Our Midst series by Brian Davis. In the Dragons in Our Midst series, a boy with fiery breath and a girl with dragon wings find their strength and courage tested as they come together to defy a legacy passed down for generations. With over 600,000 books sold, the best-selling Dragons in Our Midst series is both a hair-raising modern-day adventure and a glimpse into another world, a world steeped in knights, dragons, and the Arthurian legend that has gripped fans across generations. The Dragons in Our Midst follows two teens descended from dragons who become entangled in a sinister plot over a thousand years in the making. They join forces using their courage and faith to fight an evil dragon slayer that threatens to destroy dragon heritage forever. See why fans are praising author Brian Davis's fresh take on the fantasy genre and comparing his series to the writings of Tolkien, Lewis, and Verne. All four books of the Dragons in Our Midst series are available now from Wander or your favorite booksellers. Thank you to Dragons in Our Midst series by Brian Davis. Ama, welcome. Kelly, thank you so much for having <laughs> me. I am so excited to have this conversation. Yes. And I love that you introduced me as a Babysitter's Club expert. That might be the only credential I ever care about from now on. <laughs> I think you need to put it on everything you do. Everything. I really want to. Do you want to tell listeners who may not remember you from our last conversation, uh, who you are, what you do, anything that might be pertinent, I guess, to to that credentialing? Sure. So hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to me chatter on about the Babysitter's Club again. It's one of my favorite things, mm-hmm. but I am a writer and a speaker facilitator And I also am a stand-up comedian. So in a lot of ways, I'm kind of primed to talk about things that I care about. So Mm -hmm. I love getting to do that on things that are a little bit more offbeat. And believe it or not, I don't get to talk about the Babysitter's Club as much as I might want. So opportunities like this are always so much fun. So thank you for letting me come back and do it again. Heck yes. So today's conversation, we are going to talk about kind of what you would like to talk about. We'll let you steer the conversation. It will not be as long as previous conversations have been, only because if we didn't give ourselves a time limit, we would probably talk for four hours. Much as I would love to, uh, I'm not sure listeners are like as eager about that as we might be. I mean, I would always hope so, but I never take that for granted. So we will try to be efficient. We'll do our best. (laughs) So... Uh, what are your first impressions of season two? Uh, thoughts, things you are really eager to talk about? I really liked it. I think that it felt a little bit more complex, maybe, mm-hmm. than the first season did. And as you go further and further into the books, I think you kind of get to know more about these characters and they go into kind of deeper topics than the first season covered. But I also feel like they were able to write in things that had a little bit more heft and weight than they could have maybe in a first season. So it felt like a good natural progression into something deeper and a little bit maybe more, maybe not challenging, but more, like I said, complex. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. And I feel like we really got the stage set with who these characters are in season one. 
Mm -hmm. So that in season two, we could then really get to know them. And that allowed the chance to go into some of these other topics and conversations that maybe would not have flowed as naturally in the first season. So in my head, the thing I immediately think of, and I, I, I think this is one of my favorite bits in the series so far, was where Mallory's father has a whole conversation with Don about anxiety that was just unbelievably good and powerful. And let's just let's talk about that a little bit. Absolutely. I, I know I said it to you. I think I said it to a couple people over the course of the past week. But that is a conversation as an anxious adult. Like I would be a different person mm-hmm. if someone had had that conversation with me at 12 or 13. So it was really nice that they were able to incorporate that into the show. And it maybe isn't something that shows up in the books exactly to the text, but it fit the moment perfectly. And I think it's a really good example of what you can do once you know the characters and also as creators and writers of the show decide that you want to make it a little bit more complicated than the books might initially have been able to cover. Right. And I I love that in this scene, and, and I'm sure this is something we will talk about a little bit more, we see how complex the adults are as well. Um, yeah. I think too often we forget that adults in books for younger readers also have these entire lives and stories and backgrounds. And for Marianne's father in particular, you know, he is sort of, I, I describe him as a wet blanket. Like he's, you know, like <laughs> he just kind of is a downer the whole time and like doesn't have a whole lot that like makes him super compelling to me. And then in that moment when he's talking with Don about anxiety and his experiences with it, I was like, holy cow, suddenly everything about you makes so much more sense to me as somebody who has anxiety as an adult, you know, and and it it made me see him in a whole new and much more nuanced and complex way. Yeah, and it's a really welcome portrayal when you have something like this that's serving a dual audience. So for kids, when you read the books, and when I read the books as a kid, like the adults were there, but you don't get a whole lot of understanding of who they are or why the way they are. So to have that in a space where kids will now understand that when parents treat you this way, sometimes it is because they are feeling this way. That's a really important thing to be able to talk about. But also understanding that this is something that's nostalgic for older watchers being able to say, you can have these conversations with your kids. Mm -hmm. Your kids will be better and stronger people for you having these conversations with them. So it serves this really interesting dual purpose. Yeah. And you know, I I had this very moment and it was very personal in the last episode, which is about Christy and her father. And Mm -hmm. her father is absent from her life. And he calls up her mom and says he and the new wife and surprise their new baby will be driving through town and he would like to see them. And so the story is about Christy and her three brothers sort of wrestling with, do we want to see dad, even though he's been essentially a deadbeat, or mm-hmm. do we want to move on from this? And Christy's older brother, Sam's like, I'm having nothing to do with this. And the rest of them are sort of ambivalent, but feel curious. And it was not until the moment that Watson at the end, um, I should say that Christy's dad doesn't show up, he blows them off. Like, this is not a spoiler. This is not a surprise. You kind of know what's going to happen. Yeah. And Watson at the end has this long conversation about how people can let you down and how, you know, not everybody is a good person. And, you know, like, 
her dad didn't deserve her time. And it was one of those conversations that my husband was watching the show with me. He's like, wow, I would never say that to a kid. And I looked at him and I said, as somebody who grew up with a deadbeat dad, I wish somebody had said that to me. Because Mm. it, it was one of those moments where like, you realize that not all adults are perfect and that not all adults are worthy of your respect. And there's something super empowering about that and how even blood can let you down and having those feelings of being let down or frustrated or mad, like are perfectly valid and, and okay to experience. Yeah. It's, it's dealing with some things that, and of course it's advancing over and above what the books did because Mm -hmm. of the time in which we're in and the way you could talk to kids and the kind of thing that kids will already know. Mm -hmm. So I really like that they're having some of those conversations about here's how adults are and here's why they are the way they are. And that doesn't have to define you. You -hmm. can choose to be different because of those things. So yeah, it was another really interesting conversation to watch. And then even her friends then being able to pop up, like Marianne being able to say, my mom's not around and she would have loved more time with me. And that's Mm -hmm. a choice that adults can make. And then Don saying, my dad does have that choice and he chooses differently. So not just seeing that the adults understand, but also within your peer group, Mm -hmm. people are having different experiences and maybe have to come from this from a different perspective. And that's always been really valuable for me too. Yeah. I And I remember, you know, growing up, one of the things that made these books so great was seeing so many different family structures as somebody who was a child of divorce and didn't see that portrayed very often in any popular media. So mm-hmm. being able to see what they've done with these storylines and creating them in even more complex and nuanced ways that our time now really allows for and expects, I think, just goes to show how much thought was in the original text and how much thought has then been placed on top of it to to make these stories still relevant and still important. Yeah, I talk to people a lot about one of the reasons I love the show and like to talk about it so much is that it's not just an adaptation of something that we enjoyed when we were younger, but it's a thoughtful adaptation that has responded to the time that it's in, in Mm -hmm. a lot of really interesting ways. And even though there was a really kind of broad showcase of what family could look like, they are still continuing to evolve it and change it in the books. Like uh, Marianne and the Great Romance, for example, that was originally done around Sharon and Richard Marianne's dad and Don's mom getting married. And now they kind of have an agreement where they're more, we're together, but we don't necessarily have to get married. And Mm -hmm. that's a realistic evolution of what that type of relationship could look like. So again, understanding that here's how it was in the books, but here's what that could look like now. And we want to show that too. Yeah. And it's one of those things too, that I think as an adult, you can maybe take for granted because- At least thinking about that, I didn't think about how revolutionary that was, really, you know, but but it is because it it does play into just how many different ways a family can look, how many different ways a a romance can look. And like you had mentioned, it it takes what was in the text and gives it like, I don't want to say that next step, but what that looks like today, what it could look like today, what today's kids live with and like what's realistic and, and honest. Yeah, it's there's so many different ways that they did that. And just, oh, I liked it so much. They did a great, great job. Mm-hmm. What else were you like eager to talk about? 
Well, there was a moment in the first episode, Christy and the Snobs, where there's this kind of larger conversation about belonging and how Christy mm. just feels out of place in her new neighborhood because everyone else has so much money and treats their family different and behaves differently. And there's a piece where she says something to the effect of sometimes that feeling is because you kind of know that you don't belong. And that was something that just kind of hit me in a very interesting place. And then over the course of the series, you see that kind of pop up for other characters about how Jesse feels weird at her new dance studio because she feels like she doesn't belong. And then Marianne trying to figure out where she belongs between someone in her friend group that has a boyfriend versus someone that's single. And it just keeps popping up in a number of different places, that feeling of belonging and how many different ways it can show up. As you said that, I was nodding along and immediately thought of it might be the second episode where Christy passes out a personality test for everybody in the club and everybody's sort of slotted into a description except for Mallory, one of the new junior officers. And she then is trying to adapt herself to fit in with whoever she's with at the moment, which Mm -hmm. there's a couple of scenes where she's with Claudia and it feels like she's trying so hard to get Claudia's approval rather than being herself. And the Mm -hmm. moments when she is 100% herself instead of who she thinks Claudia wants her to be are the moments when we really see her shine and stand out. And, and those are the moments when Claudia too is like, this is who you are. And, and you need to like understand that being who you are is, is the goal here, not to be someone you think you should be whoever you're with. And it's interesting because that then parallels what Claudia experiences with, I'm going to forget her name, the um, older girl who becomes friends with Janine. Ashley Wyeth. There you go, Ashley Wyeth. And she is like this social media influencer, very, very cool girl who seems like she shouldn't hang out with a a nerdy person like Janine and they have a conversation at one point and Ashley's like, no, Claudia, you got to be who you are. And it was just such a neat parallel of like, even the characters who seem like they have it together and know exactly who they are and lean into who they are still have those moments of where do I belong? Yeah, it just it really normalized that idea of everybody kind of feels that way a little bit sometimes. So to have that thread start at the beginning and then just keep recurring across all of the characters, knowing how different they are. It was a really nice, subtle way of recognizing that even the people that are the most different, you have no way of knowing who's going to feel like they are where they're supposed to be, quote unquote, and who doesn't. And more to the point, really, everybody feels that way at one point or another. And I think every character does have that moment of, I feel a little bit uncomfortable with where I am. I feel a little bit weird from where I am. And that's a larger message then of like, we all feel this way sometimes and it's okay. And you can still have strong friends around you and still really enjoy the life that you're living. Mm-hmm. And if I may talk about my favorite new character in this part of the series, please and do. that's Jesse's mom, who yes. is <laughs> the best uh, mom I've seen in a long time. And in that episode, Jesse, you, you talked about this a little bit. Jesse is at a new dance studio and she is not getting like the lead roles. She is babysitting this like nerdy. So what was his name? Like super nerd or something. 
super brat Derek Masters, which as an aside, <laughs> between that and Ashley Wyeth, the likelihood of two influencers that powerful being in Stony Brook, Connecticut, <laughs> I was like, what truly are the odds of this? Like, it makes sense to evolve Derek Masters from what he was in the books of like a child star on a TV show to a TikTok star. But then I was like, him and Ashley Wyeth? And no one thinks that's weird? Like... <laughs> Just a random thing that popped up. <laughs> I didn't even think about that, but that's true. Um, <laughs> so Jesse's babysitting Derek and has to like help him film his his videos. And, you know, she is having these feelings about not getting these roles in her ballet class and group. And she decides that she's going to then try to become a TikTok star herself. Mm-hmm. And her mom basically reams her out in a really like heartfelt way. I don't want to say it like it was mean, but it was like, what are you doing? You don't just throw away what you've worked so hard for because you don't get what you want. And like, that was such a huge moment for her to be like, yeah, why, why did I put all of my like self-worth in this starring role as opposed to being like, wow, I love to dance because I love to dance and I'm good at it. And then at the end, her mom has another really great moment with her after their ballet recital. And and Jesse had had this aha moment right before going on stage. Like, no, I love doing this. I'm doing this mm-hmm. because it's so much fun. And then her mom takes them all out for ice cream afterward. And it's just like, oh, you know, tough love is sometimes the most powerful thing to see on screen. Yeah, I, I loved that so much because it was very much, again, that thing that I would probably be a different kid if someone had said that to me. It made me rethink some things like I watched it again yesterday. Yesterday, I was like, well, that's probably true of something I'm doing right now. And I am, in theory, too old for that. But the idea of it just being like the mom that sits you down and is like, stop behaving this way. Like, you're not owed anything. You can quit. And the other thing I liked, too, was that she was very quick to say, like, if you want to quit because you don't enjoy it, that's Mm -hmm. fine. Yeah, But if you want to quit because you expected to be the best right away and you didn't get it, that's not okay. Yes. And that was like a really important distinction, something that I really needed to hear. And then at the end, just the throwaway line when uh, Jesse's dad and sister come in, he's like, dinner is ready. This is Marianne. So like all of that and then just not throwing away the niceties of what you need to do when someone enters a room. Like that was just my mom exactly. It just, it made me want to call my mom. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I just I loved her at the very beginning um, when she's driving Jesse home from practice and and talking about like, no, we can't take you to this workshop on Saturday because your sister has something. And sorry, as a family, we all go to each other's things. And it was like one of those moments where you look at it in you know the micro context of this the series, but then you look at it from the bigger perspective and it's like that idea that a family does family things together, like wow, how often do we see that? Like so often we see rushing place to place to place to place to do it all. Whereas Jesse's mom's like, no, we're going to do one thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's another element of just like Jesse's idea of becoming like an elite level ballerina is not at the expense of the rest of the family, which you kind of then see in contrast to Derek, the idea of him, what he does is everything to that family. So like having that contrast there as well is also really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't even think about that, but that's spot on, spot on. What else? We've got a few more minutes before we have to wrap up, like I said, or we can go on for hours and hours. But I'd love to hear, like, what haven't we touched on that stuck out to you? 
So one thing that hit me in my second watch yesterday in the next to last episode, uh, Claudia and the Sad Goodbye, where she Mm. loses her grandmother, was the feeling that I had watching the tea ceremony at the end. Mm -hmm. So everybody's in the room. Claudia has kind of been acting out since her grandmother passed away, uh, really done things that she felt compelled to apologize for and bring all of her friends back together with. So she holds a tea ceremony in her room before a babysitter's club meeting. All the other sitters are there. Claudia's parents are there. Her sister is there. Ashley Wyeth is there as well. And she does the tea ceremony that Mimi had taught her. And it hit in a very specific way in the moment that we're watching it. So thinking back to the idea that probably one of the best pieces of the earlier part of the pandemic was watching the first season with all of my friends, being able to do it together over Netflix party, and then combined with everything we've gone through since then, and just realizing all of the conversations around like not being able to grieve properly, because we were all so separate, watching people grieve just hit me in a way that I did not expect it to. Like I needed to see and feel like a part of that type of ceremony because there are so many things where I hadn't been able to have that kind of ritual. And it is such a deep thing to put on a kid's show. But it was just something I realized as I was watching, like so many of us have probably needed something like that. And watching it might have been the closest we get to it for a really long time. You just articulated what I couldn't in that that very scene is where I got weepy um, in that episode and it's like you know it's going to be a sad episode you know what's going to happen if you're familiar with the stories at all but it wasn't until that tea ceremony that I started to like really well up and and I think you say exactly why it's it's a very public group like public in that it's collective with really important people in Claudia's life Mm -hmm. grieving and and just like they shared great memories of Mimi. They shared hard memories of Mimi and they shared in this tea ceremony, which was the last thing that Claudia did with Mimi. And, you know, Mimi had been so precise and wouldn't let her just like take the easy way out in in getting the ceremony right. And you see her internalize those lessons and then share them in a way that just like was so powerful. And I, I think your comparison of that to what we're all feeling collectively in terms of grief as a society, just, yeah, it was so one of those scenes I needed to see. And I think one of those scenes that I will go back to and watch because it it did feel like a weight was lifted. Yeah. And I did not expect it to hit that way. And I feel like it's one of those things that wherever this media exists in 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, it's going to be impossible to explain. But Mm -hmm. just remembering how you felt in the moment of watching it, there are a handful of things that maybe I can think of in my life. And I watch so much TV and there are maybe five things that I can think of where the moment that I was watching it the first time, I remember how I felt. And this is one of those things. And it, again, is going to feel so silly to say that it was on season two of a kid's show that I needed to binge the day it came out, but that's just where it was. Mm -hmm. And it was just an amazing vehicle for this big revelation. How many moments, how many people, how many relationships have we not had the opportunity to just sit and have a ritual around? Yes. And yeah, I needed it so much more than I expected to. And it just hit me so hard yesterday in that second watch. Like, that's why this moment felt so heavy, not because of the grief on the show, but because of the grief that I haven't gotten to process yet. And if you compare that to to the other 
ritual that we see in the show, which is in the last episode, the baby parade, which mm-hmm. turns into essentially a disaster. And and if you look at that as sort of like a public ceremony, right? Like yeah. it falls apart because it didn't have the same meaning invested in it as this very like close knit tea ceremony did. Yeah. And and that's something I hadn't thought about until just now. But the comparison of those two is really interesting. Like what happens when you try to like revive a thing that didn't have a whole lot of meaning to it, but just was done because it's history versus something that's done because it's very meaningful and powerful. And, and it's like a true ritual and how that plays out in a, in a different way. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that either. But I think you're right is kind of like the depth and the weight of traditions as we hold them and what needs to continue and what maybe doesn't. And, mm-hmm. and it's not to say that the baby parade shouldn't exist, but right. those those two traditions exist on very different planes and do very different things. Yes. And and I wanted to end on that. We're going to wrap up. Uh, I'll give you a minute to bring up anything else that you've got. But I wanted to to bring that up because I feel like the season ended on a note where it's very obvious we're going to get a third season. I don't know if you felt the same way, but it didn't feel like it was a book closing, but rather like everything was still wide open. Yeah. And I do think that the possibility exists. I know the creators haven't ruled it out. And again, it's one of those things that is so time bound because Mm. you're dealing with really young actors. The oldest of this ensemble, I think is 16. Mm. So we're going to get to a point where them feasibly playing 13 year olds, unless you go all the way in the opposite direction to like a Dawson's Creek or Grease type scenario where no one cares what age Mm -hmm. anybody is. The ability that we have to see these girls in that age and make sure that that makes sense is closing. And the idea that maybe we get one more season of this where that feels realistic, I do think that they did leave it open for that. And man, I hope they do because there's Mm -hmm. so much ground to cover and the stories are still so good. Yeah. For sure. And and just the ability that they have had to really make this a cross-generational viewing experience, I think, is noteworthy. You know, you you can watch this at any age. You can watch it if you have kids with your kids. You can mm-hmm. watch it as an adult and enjoy it as an adult, both for the nostalgia purpose, but also because the adults are so dang good in and of themselves. And, like, there's so few places where that sort of cross-generational like entertainment experience exists yeah and in a way that you never really have to ask big questions about if it's okay so Mm -hmm. as an example a good friend of mine uh had neighbors across the street an apartment she was living in a couple years ago where i think the little girls at the time that the last season came out were like 11 or 12 and she wasn't sure if they were going to be interested in the new season she happened to see them a couple days ago and talk to them about it and one of them i think is like 14 or 15 now and she wasn't sure if she would be excited and she was and that was just really heartwarming to me that like teenagers who i think adults always have the conversation about like they're not like they used to be but they do care about this kind of stuff and it's not something that is just for the adults who are revisiting it it does have appeal and attraction to younger kids and the other piece i think about that with is one of my other favorite netflix shows that's coming back in a couple weeks is big mouth which is about teenagers but depending upon the relationship you have with your teenagers might not be for you to watch (laughs) with them together and i get asked that all the time friends with kids are like should i watch this with my kids i'm like i don't know the relationship you have with your kids and this is not that this is something where you can genuinely feel good about having conversations with your kids about what happens in here about difficult things about heartwarming things it's an easy dual watch and I think that's not something we have as often anymore 
I agree. I agree. Any last thoughts before we call this club meeting to a close? Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, I think we managed to cover everything. I'm just so excited that this season delivered upon... I don't know that I had expectations for it per se, but it was as enjoyable as the first season. And just like last time, I'm about a week in from it being out and just saying, when are we getting more? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And it feels like the first season was a lifetime ago, but it was only a year and a few months ago because it came out like 4th of July, 2020. Yeah. So I, yeah, we might have to wait, you know, another year, but I want it now. <laughs> I do, but I will I will wait. I'm willing to put in the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me to talk about this again for HeyYA. And thank you to today's sponsor for making the show possible. You can follow me, Kelly Jensen, on Instagram at HeyKellyJensen. And Amma, where can people follow you? I am on Twitter and Instagram at AmaMarfo, all one word. And yeah, it's so much silly stuff, occasionally about the Babysitter's Club, occasionally about (laughs) comedy, but it is who I am. And I love it. That's why I invited you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for joining me. And thanks to to Jen Zink, our audio editor, for making KYA sound great. And we will see you again in two weeks for the full KYA episode. Until then, happy reading. Happy reading.